Hey, y'all. No matter where you find yourself tonight, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, we want you to feel welcome in RUF. So, welcome. My name is Matt Patrick, and I'm the RUF campus minister here at Wofford. If I haven't met you, or if Caroline, our intern, hasn't met you, we would love to meet you. A massive part of our job is eating at Burwell with you, is uh, drinking coffee most of the time right here with you guys. And we would love to walk with you this semester and get to know you over a meal. So please, if we haven't met you, I feel like I've met most of you now, but come remind me who you are and let's get a time down to meet. We would love that. Um, RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship and we're one of the many campus ministries walking alongside you during these formative years of college Um, And especially if this is your first time here, um, if there's any way we can be helpful, if you have any questions about how to get involved in RUF that we haven't already tried to answer, please let us know. And go to Fall Conference. Okay. We're continuing in this series called Christ for Us. Christ for Us. And we're doing like a greatest hits gospel survey of these scenes where Jesus is interacting with people. He's telling stories and parables. He's doing miracles, turning water into wine, and we're going to see all kinds of things about Jesus and who he is for us. So last week, we looked at this story, the parable of the great banquet, and we saw that Jesus is our host. Tonight, we're going to see him feeding 5,000 people, hungry people in a field, and we're going to see that Christ is our shepherd. Next week, we're going to see him on a boat with a lot of panic attack, anxious kind of disciples like me and you because they're in a hurricane level storm. And with one word, he calms the storm and we're going to see that Christ is our peace. We're also going to see that Christ is our joy and that he turns water into wine. He doesn't just like make the party, you know, um, refusing to stop the party. He makes it have joy. That's what we're going to see. Christ for us. Feeding the 5,000 is tonight. All right, so when I was a little boy, from the time probably when I was in, I don't know, kindergarten or so, until I got to fifth or sixth grade, here's what my Friday or Saturday night looked like. I would have my friends come over, and we would go to our upstairs playroom. And in my upstairs playroom, we would become Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman and Scottie Pippen and Ron Harper and Luke Longley and Tony Kukoc, okay? That's the starting lineup of the 1996 Chicago Bulls. I'm in kindergarten, okay? I go in the closet and I find the black jersey with the red pinstripes, you know what I'm talking about? The Jordan jersey, I would put it on. I was Jordan, of course. And then everyone else was my team and we were the Bulls and we would imagine last second shots. If you've seen Jordan highlights, you know he plays with his tongue out. We all had our tongues out. And it was magic. It was magic. And we had one of those Fisher-Price plastic goals where you can raise it and lower it, and a rubber basketball. So we're up there, and every single time we would be up there, we would smell something besides our sweat. We would smell something. Here's what we'd smell. Chocolate chip cookies. Chocolate chip cookies. My dad, without us asking, would bake Pillsbury Doughboy chocolate chip cookies, dozens of them, dozens of them, and we would know. And out of nowhere, usually with us being impatient, he can sense it. He calls me Maddie. Yes, he does. He calls me Maddie. The only person that calls me Maddie. He's like, Maddie, y'all come on. Cookies are ready. And we would sprint down the stairs and we would come and we would see this scene before us, glorious scene of 
a gallon of milk on the table, and he's already got like six cookies for each of us <laughs> on the plates for us. The napkin next to it is folded. Fine china for kindergartners. This is a feast. Why did he do that? My dad actually, and again, this was five or six years of my life, and my, like, my childhood best friend, Trey, still like, man, your dad's chocolate chip cookies. Like, Trey, bro, they were Pillsbury Dead Boy, okay? Um, you haven't had Caroline Cotton's cookies yet. Um, so why did my dad do that? Compassion. Because what you may or may not know, that time of my life from kindergarten to sixth grade was really dark at home was very hard for me. And my dad was a single dad, a single parent. My brother was 10 years older. He's off at college at Lipscomb University in Nashville. It's just me and dad. He's trying to figure it out, and so am I. He made those cookies, I'm convinced. He didn't tell me this. He didn't have to tell me this. I see you. I see you in your pain. I see you in your joylessness. I see you in your frustration. You have no idea how to live in the impossibility of life in a fallen world. Have some joy. That's why he did it. Compassion moved him. It's interesting that in the Gospels when it says that when Jesus looks at needy people, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion. He has a soft spot or moved in his guts. And if you do like deep dives on what some of those verbs mean in the Hebrew and Greek, he was moved on his, in his gut to do compassionate things. And that's what we see in this field with needy people he feeds. Have some joy. Have some abundance. And that's what we're going to see in this passage. Why does he do this? Compassion. And so we're going to ask this question that's going to guide our time. How does Jesus shepherd his flock? How does Jesus shepherd me and you? That's what we're going to see. You have your outline. The text is before you. I'm going to read it now. Once I find an outline, can, can I borrow yours? Sorry. Front rows always like I, I never bring my Bible to large group because that's I guess the kind of pastor I am. I don't bring the Bible with me. Okay, here we go. This is God's word. He hasn't spoken to us to give us a theology exam to ace or a book of rules to follow. Friends, he has spoken to me and to you tonight because he loves us. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Verse 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said this, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. It's living and active. We know that's true because you are living and active. And yet we find ourselves here tonight needy, hungry, thirsty, 
experiencing all kinds of shame because we have habits we can't break. We feel dirty because of the sins we've committed, sins that have been committed against us. We need bread from you. And we ask that you would feed us with your word in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you have the game plan in front of you. How does Jesus shepherd us? He makes us lie down and he feeds us. And then so what? He makes us lie down and he feeds us. Let's do the first one. He makes us lie down. So I want to say this on the front end. Was Psalm 23 is the call to worship an accidental or arbitrary text for us to choose? No, it was not. Here's what we're going to see. And I want you to have your imagination on high on this. You're going to see in the field with Jesus, this needy, hungry flock, Jesus is doing Psalm 23. He, he is saying, David was singing about me. I'm the shepherd. That's what Jesus is doing, okay? Green pastures besides still waters. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? He makes us lie down. That's Psalm 23 language. I want you to see the scene. Jesus is a man on the run. See, Jesus at this part of his life and ministry Word is getting out about Jesus. There's a buzz about Jesus. And there's, he healed people. He's saying all kinds of think, crazy things that no one thought a Messiah was going to do. He's talking about dying and rising on the third day. They needed a military hero. Everyone wanted a Messiah who was be- beating his chest, masculine military le- leader. And Jesus is like washing feet. There's a buzz about Jesus. People don't know what to do with him. But everyone had a plan for, their, for his life. And so this mysterious Messiah, we're told that Jesus goes away to a desolate place. We see that oftentimes. Jesus, when a lot of attention gets on Jesus, I got to go away with my father. All the time, Jesus does that. That's what he's doing here. But the crowds, because they know, we got to go with Jesus. We got to go find him. So that's what we happen. And the scene is set. Hungry bodies, hungry hearts, Field, desolate place, shepherd, sheep, hunger, thirst. There's the scene, okay? There they are. And then here's the problem. They don't have enough food. They don't, know how, they don't have enough food to eat. And the next town is far enough away that they can't go, like, make a trip to QT or make a trip to Food Lion or the Publix or the Trader Joe's, right? They just got to figure it out or to cook out. But verse 19, what does Jesus do? Look at this. He ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He's shepherding us in that he's making us lie down. And then in making his people lie down, he's saying, I want you to be with me. I'm inviting you into my presence. I want you to sit I want you to be present with me. Look at me. This is anything but desolate. Why? We haven't even eaten yet, and I want you to look at what you're dealing with. I'm your shepherd. Because this place of desolation, it feels and looks like the Valley of Dry Bones. It does. It feels that way for them. Desolate places repeated several times in our passage. The crowds protest, and they say, We've only got, We don't have enough food, Jesus. Why did you bring us out here? You knew we were going to follow you. Everybody's talking about you. Why are we out here? But Jesus says, y'all take a seat. Sit down. Buckle up. Get ready. Look at me. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me, with me, with Jesus in the desolation, in the field, in your sin, in your shame, with Jesus. I want you to sit down so you will look at me, right? That's what he's doing. One of my favorite shows is Friday Night Lights. It is now back on Netflix. It was on Netflix for years. First time I watched it was in college. I love the show so much. It will come up a lot this semester. We're almost done with it. Ivy's first time finishing it. And it's about a high school football team in Dillon, Texas. And Coach Eric Taylor is the head football coach. And his wife, Tammy, is the guidance counselor for the school, Dillon High. That's what it's about, okay? But it's not about high school football. It's about friendship. It's about family. It's about community. And if I were to just summarize the kind of love that Eric and Tammy Taylor show that community, it would be some version of this. We're here. We're here. No matter five seasons, no matter what y'all are going through, we're here. No matter who you are, we're here. No matter what trauma you experience, we're here. No matter where you go, I'm going to walk with you. The power of the Taylor's presence in the valley of death for that high school is the power of the show. That is what the show is about. I'm here. We're here. You know where to find us. Friends, no matter what this year holds, your shepherd in making you lie down to shepherd you, he wants you to know he's with you right here in this space. When you walk back to your apartment or your dorm, when you go to class tomorrow, when you get disappointed this week, He's with you. He's with you. So he makes us lie down to, to invite us to look at him, to experience his presence, not to know about him, but to know him, but then also to, in, to embrace like a posture of like open-handed receptivity to receive, like get ready to eat. Life is a feast of grace. Think about this. When you sit down, your body literally is so still, you have to rest. You have to have this kind of open... That's what Sabbath is all about. Jesus is saying, don't work. I want your mind and your heart and your body to stop, quit. Why? To receive the gifts of my mercy. To eat and drink of them. And what I want you to see in this imagery, if you think of like 5,000 people lying down, sitting down on green grass... What kind of shepherd does that? What kind of God does that? God, Jesus' word made flesh, second person of the Trinity. What kind of God does that? He's not saying, like, pull your bootstraps up and get your stuff together or clean yourself up if you want to roll with me. He's not saying that. He's saying quit working. You can't get bread on your own. Stop. Don't worry about the other towns. Sit down. That's what he's saying. And he's saying that out of compassion. Get ready to eat. So, friends, I don't know... It's, it's week two. Are we busy yet? You will be like tomorrow when I see you at Burwell. So busy, Matt. Pray for me, right? <clears throat> I get it. Your shepherd wants you to sit down with him. To see him looking. To see you looking at him. He's with you, but also to have open hands for your life. Not trying to produce bread 
on your own terms, with your own circumstances and your own resources. Because spoiler alert, y'all, you can't do it. You can't. You don't have it in and of yourself. And you know that. I don't have to tell you, but I'm going to, to try to save you some heartache. But you will hit up against limitations this year, and you will. Don't be afraid of your limitations. It's your shepherd trying to get you to lie down. That's what he's trying to do. Because the only way to get on his grace is by stopping, by resting, by turning in your spiritual resume and stopping our addiction to control and managing our spiritual lives. Stop. Be a sheep, a needy, broken, lost sheep with a shepherd that is compassionate to feed you. I think of Martha and Mary and Adam and Eve with this, this story. And here's why. If you know anything about Martha and Mary, Martha was like anxiously toiling all the time for Jesus. She, lo- she had like great Bible reading plans for Jesus, right? All the missionary trips, Martha had them all down. Mary was like very content and still with Jesus, right? You have very two different kinds of postures of rolling with Jesus. Then you also have Adam and Eve, and you have basically toiling in life away from Jesus on your own terms is the valley of death. That's exactly what we see in Genesis 3. Staying in the garden with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit is a feast. Be still. You're right where you need to be. It's one thing that's necessary, and it's to be with the shepherd. This year, he's inviting you to dwell with him, but also have a spiritual posture of open-handedness. You might have been to a church before growing up where a pastor gets up and they do a benediction. Benediction is a name for blessing where a pastor, usually from Scripture, will raise his hands and he'll say a blessing over the people. And the congregation stands up, and what do they do with their bodies? They open their hands. We do this at the end of the semester. I will say a blessing over you, and you'll do this. Reverend will do this. That benediction posture is all of Christianity. That is the gospel. That is the A, Bs, and Cs to Z of the Christian life. We never move on from this, ever. The minute that we're autonomous away from Jesus, I don't need it. I can get that on my own terms. Not much Jesus can do for you anymore. We don't really need a shepherd. You're fine. Like the people last week that were full with Jesus, they don't need Jesus' food, right? The benediction posture really is the, the posture for us. He makes us lie down. He also feeds us. Let's go to the second one. He feeds us. This is when the magic happens, as y'all know. He feeds us. I want to say this slowly that it might sink in, even if awkwardly so. I grew up in church. A lot of y'all did. Y'all have heard this. Jesus fed 5,000 people. 5,000 people. Not just people. Hungry people, the text makes that very clear, and they're in desolate circumstances. There's no food. Life depends on this. 5,000 people. That's what we say. And again, it's a desolate place, Jesus. They're coming to terms with the fact. They're looking around. No food. In our circumstances, our resources, we're going to starve. That's what they're seeing. And it's setting in. And it's not unlike Jesus on the boat with those disciples when they start having panic attacks. And they say, Jesus, what are you doing taking a nap? Wake up, Jesus. He's, at the, he's in the basement of the boat taking a nap, literally. Second person of the Trinity is napping. Hurricane storm. We're going to talk about that next week. But they're freaking out. They don't have the resources. What are you doing? Jesus, it's desolate. What are you doing? And that's what we see. They run out of wine. Social embarrassment to the wedding family. 
They ran out of wine. The party probably just got started. There is no wine, Jesus' mom, maybe like accusingly and with sass, says to Jesus. And what does he do? One word calms the storm. And one not much more words than one. Water into wine, choice wine, party restored. That's what we see. And more wine than we could ever imagine. More bread than we could ever imagine and fish here. Why? Compassion. Compassion. That's why he does it. He's meeting their needs. I want you to see that. There is need. He's meeting their daily bread needs. It's a miracle, but it's very mundane. The one, like, he's taking ordinary stuff of creation and just blowing it all up. Like It's a miracle, but he's taking the ordinary stuff of your life and mine, and he's saying, look out what I'm about to do with your ordinary circumstances in life. That's what he does with the wine. That's what he does with the Lord's Supper. He's not taking bread and wine for no reason. He's saying, I made this. Look what I'll do with it. I'll blow your mind with what I'll do with my mercy. He's meeting our needs. I want you to think right now, I want to invite you to think of the daily bread needs and the daily bread kinds of gifts that you have in your life right this moment, okay? You probably have a car that was given to you, bought for you. You have parents. You have a wonderful, beautiful school called Wofford Wofford College that we love so much to study at. You have chicken quesadillas from Cookout. You have these new donuts at Burwell. What on earth are we? It's unreal. You have this beautiful walkway from Olin to Old Main, that skinny one, and how the light and the sun pokes in from the trees and all these freaking trees here every day. Your life is a feast of grace here. Y'all, this is not desolate. This is not desolate. This is so rich. This is so rich. Cookies are ready, right? Why? Not because he's some clockmaker God who's arbitrarily giving you that sun poking through so perfectly. Delightful compassion because he loves you. Because he loves to give you good gifts. Anything but arbitrary, anything from desolate. Here's a no-brainer takeaway from 10 months of parenthood. Babies are utterly helpless. Shocker, right? Utterly helpless. Annie's about to walk like any week now, and I don't know what to do with that um, on so many levels. But for the majority of her life, she hasn't been able to walk. If we don't carry her, she cannot walk. She hasn't been able to eat on her own until about a month. She's like eating quinoa now, you know. Um, We have elevated taste in the Patrick household. And... If she doesn't eat, if Ivy doesn't feed her, she's not going to eat, right? Utterly helpless. And I will just say this. When Annie, Annie's a great sleeper. When she's struggling to sleep, though, and we're so exhausted because love having you in our home might not have a student leave till 10 or 11 at night. And I'm getting ready for bed and I hear that beautiful cry of my little girl, my firstborn. 
and it's time for me to go in and figure it out, right? And put her back down. And we'll do this every hour, every hour. And guess who starts feeling really helpless? Me. And that's the magic of parenthood because I am being invited to be a child again with God through this process called fatherhood. I actually have so much to learn from my daughter in this way. And she's so singular in her focus, isn't she? She knows exactly what she wants. She's fine. With, she knows exactly who her shepherds are. And she knows exactly what she wants, and she lets us know. We can take our cues and relate to God that way. He can handle it. Please cry to him. He can handle it. Please tell him the daily bread needs that you have. He'll give them to you. Our life is a feast of grace here at Wofford College. I want you to hear that. He also, so it's not just in feeding us, meeting our daily needs. Our, this is maybe my favorite part of the, of the passage, okay? And we're going to try to go pretty quickly here. But the repetition of they ate and they were satisfied. Now, they ate and they were satisfied. He satisfies our hungers. I want you to see that when Jesus gives daily bread gifts to his flock, it's not just to meet the needs by itself. He wants to satisfy you. The light coming in through the trees and those amazing donuts and the donuts that are right here. And if you've ever been to the Kennedy and had their food and the, the great food that we have in Spartanburg, it's not like, look, we could just eat like a granola bar to get fed, right? No, 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 no. He wants four course sit down. This is going to take a while. I'm going to satisfy you. That's a different kind of feeding. I hope you feel the difference. And he's doing that from a place of compassion too because he wants you to experience joy. My dad could have given us all kinds of stuff that night when we were hungry for those years, right? He could have just given us two cookies. Y'all, there was enough for all of us to eat half a dozen by ourselves, and we did. We would literally eat them so fast, like when Annie drops food, my dog Riggins, my crazy golden doodle, scarfs up the food. That was us with Pillsbury Doughboy cookies. That was it. Scarfing them up. He didn't have to give us six. Six, right? He wants to satisfy you. And I don't know, let me just say this, I don't know if you've experienced Jesus to being, being satisfied or being satisfied by Jesus. Y'all know what I'm trying to say. I said that inverted. With the gifts that he's given you for you to sink your teeth in them and say, this is good. Here's what we see in the Bible. Guys like Paul can be in prison and sing hymns in prison. Why can he do that? Because the Lord is good. He can say things in the scriptures, David and all the psalmists, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's nothing in my life that I desire more than to be with you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you're the strength of my heart and my portion forever. How can they say outlandish things? Not because God is merely like barely delivering. Because he's satisfying. He is satisfying their hearts. That's why they can say that. That's why they can suffer and walk through the valley of the shadow of death and say, you're with me. And like Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan, he said, Lord, you're like a delicious good to me. God is a delicious good. Have you said that with your heart before? Not all the time. That's not what I'm saying. Life in a fallen world is impossible. Of course you're hungry. Of course you're thirsty. 
I'm just talking about at any time. Have you been able to say, delicious, good, I've never eaten like this. I've never had a meal like this. You have to think, if you look at that scene, right, the, the grassy field, those hungry sheep, those confused, there were winners and losers, Pharisees and tax collectors and prostitutes, you know they were there. They were all there. And they're sitting down. Could you imagine after they were so satisfied, their bellies and their hearts so full of the mercy of Jesus? They're looking around. We got to keep eating one with this dude. I've never had a meal like this. We have to tell others about this meal. I know hungry people in the other towns, I have family members that are hungry. I've never eaten like this. I'll go wherever this guy wants me to go. The Lord is my shepherd, and I live a life with no lack with him. That's what they would say. I'm reading this, this memoir right now. I'm landing the plane with this. This book called, I love this, this memoir's title. It's called Our Lady of Perpetual Hunger. Love that title. And Lisa Donovan wrote it. It's the story of her life. She is a pastry chef who got famous at this this restaurant called City, <clears throat> City House in Nashville, and her career has kind of exploded. She's lived a fascinating life and very gritty and beautiful life. And again, she's a chef. And she describes at this part of her book, towards the beginning, mealtime with her mom. And this is what she says. Are you ready? Our mealtimes together were something I did not see in a lot of other households. And every other kid was in awe of my break in the middle of a long summer day when my mom would call me in from outside and I would come running. My name would be shouted right before noon and I would run home to a table set with a bowl of ramen noodles. Love this. The orange package that said it was chicken, a glass of sweet iced tea, and a couple of Chips Ahoy chocolate chip cookies, slightly toasted in the toaster oven, waiting for me in my mom's kitchen. She had this gift of hospitality and generosity that really had nothing to do with what she was serving, and she really loved a nicely, nicely set table. She gets embarrassed when I talk about the kind of food that she used to serve us, thinking that I'm somehow making fun of it, making fun of her. But I wish she knew that it was the best love I've ever known. It was the calling of my name when I was sweaty and hungry in the woods, and lonely too. It was the napkin perfectly folded next to my soup. It was the sweetened tea just right. But it was her above all. The meal, the ramen, the cookies. It was simply the moment in which I got to have my mom. Compassion. Compassion. Compassion like Lisa's mom. Compassion like my dad. I see you. I see you in your pain. I know I see I see it. I know where you're hungry. I know where you're thirsty. Come on. It's ready. All you gotta do is open your hands. That's all you have to do. He's our shepherd. And friends, I just want you to hear, 
I really want you to hear two things. First, this semester, he is so kind to you. A fallen world is impossible. This semester, we're back in person. This is going to be a hard semester. Life in a fallen world is hard. Gear up. You also have a very, very grace upon grace, kind shepherd who delights, delights, delights in you and giving you good gifts. And the second thing, I'll just say this. There's more than enough for all of us. There's more than enough. And that's what I hope that you experience this semester in RUF each week. When we open this really old book called the Bible, where the host and the shepherd is right there coming alive for us. Let me pray for us.